scripture says that with boldness we can come before the throne of God. Now, when it says with boldness we can come before the throne of God, is it talking about believers with clean hands? Or who is he talking about? When scripture says, come with boldness before the throne of God, does that only count for believers who have clean hands? Jesus' Jesus' body was torn. The way unto God is open. Anyone who wants to can boldly come before the throne of God in the most holy of holy places. It says, come with boldness before the throne of God and grab a hold of the mercy that is available in the throne room of God. So where God is sitting in His throne room in the most holy of holy places, mercy is freely available for everyone who wants to come. Anyone who wishes to can boldly come before the throne of God and grab all of the mercy of God that is available and make use of it. That is the kind of God we serve who's uh, invited everyone to boldly come before Him. Amen. So thank you Jesus that we can just with boldness come before the throne of a God who loves us unconditionally who blesses us unconditionally. Thank you, Lord, that you care for us greatly, that you cared so much for us, that you died for us upon a cross, that you, were, uh, that you rose from the grave to give us a new life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about the testimony about my life. The word testimony is a declaration made for the purpose of establishing a fact. It's to make something known. The word evidence, evidence is the effect that testimony has on the mind, the degree of light that it brings to people. So testimony is to declare something and in the, in the declaration of that something to make something known, to declare a fact to people. And then as you testify, as you give a testimony about something and you declare a fact to people, uh, light comes to their minds, understanding comes to their minds. If there is a court case and someone testifies and he testifies about something that a judge or the jury knows nothing about, understanding or light comes to their minds and they understand something about the case that they are hearing. Now in the very same way, if we read scripture, there is certain testimonies in Scripture which reveals facts to us, which wants to bring understanding to us. And as we understand those facts, as those facts are made known to us, light comes to our minds. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about our lives. Now, let's start off with Exodus 31 verse 18, speaking of God. And God gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of commuting with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. So this is talking about God when he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. It says that those two tablets of stone upon which the Ten Commandments were written was a testimony. It was declaring something. It was making something known. And it was written with the finger of God. So if the law was a testimony, what was the testimony of the law in the hands of God? It's important to remember if we look at a law that God did not implement, the law Adam did, God simply wrote it down. 
So the Ten Commandments is not God's law. Adam implemented it in the garden. Bertie has got a lot of teachings about that on his website. And God wrote it down upon the mountain. He wrote it down upon those two tablets of stone. And he gave it to Moses. Now, if the law is a testimony, what was the facts that God wanted to establish through the law? So when God gave the law, He didn't just simply give the law. Those Ten Commandments were testifying about something. What were they testifying about? What did God want to make known to us as He gave the law to Moses? And what was the light that God wanted to bring to the minds of people when He gave the law? So the law was supposed to declare some specific fact to people, and that fact was supposed to have brought light to the minds of people. What was that light? What was the facts that God wanted to make known through the law? Romans 3 verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped. That means to put to silence and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight... For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then Romans 5 verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So the law was given to increase trespasses. So if that was the purpose of the law, what was the testimony of the law that God, what was the fact that God wanted to make known through the law? The facts or the light to the mind that God wanted to bring to people through giving the law was... I cannot be righteous or holy by keeping the law. It says, Romans 3 verse 19, Whatever the law says, it says, so that every mouth may be stopped. So every mouth that declared that I can be righteous or holy by what I do, was to be stopped through the giving of the law. Through God giving the law, He wanted to declare to people that whatever you think that you can do to be holy, you cannot do it. That is the testimony of the law to people. According to the law, I am guilty, I need a Savior. So God wanted to declare to people that you cannot keep the law to be righteous, you need a Savior. So the pride that man had in thinking that he could do the law to be like God, through giving the law, God put a stop to that pride. God gave the law so that sin could increase, so that people could see that they can't do the law to be righteous, they need a Savior. That was the testimony of the law. Thus, God wants to set me free free through my acknowledgement that I cannot be justified by keeping commandments. So as the law is given, the purpose of the law is to set people free from trying to work to be righteous. Through giving the law, God is testifying to people that you cannot do this law to be holy. And in declaring that and us believing that light comes to us and we realize that we we have been set free from trying to do this law to be holy and righteous. That is the testimony of the law in the hands of God. Amen. Something else. Luke 24, 44. And this is Jesus speaking to them. He said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms, 
concerning me. So the second thing that a law testifies about in the hands of God is it testifies about Jesus, saying that Jesus is the Savior of the people. So as the law is testifying to people that you can't do this thing to be righteous, you need a Savior, it's also testifying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the Savior of people. That is a testimony of the law in the hands of God. But now, what is the testimony of the law in the hands of Satan? In the hands of Satan, the law will testify about something totally different. In the hands of God, God is testifying about Jesus Christ who will come to save all people and um, testifying, wanting to set us free from the burden of trying to do ten commandments, trying to do the law to be righteous or holy. But in the hands of Satan, what is the law testifying about? The first thing that the law testifies about is condemnation. So, as God declares the law, wanting to set people free from doing this thing, in the hands of Satan, people are drawn towards trying to do the law. Instead of the light that comes to the minds of the light that is supposed to come to the minds of people when they hear the law, darkness comes to the minds of people when they hear the law and they decide they want to do the law to be righteous or holy. And if people decide to do the law, do anything to be righteous, to be blessed, to be holy, condemnation will come to people. People will feel, I am worthless. I'm a complete sinner because I can't do this law to be righteous. People will feel, I'm not good enough. I cannot live up to God's expectations. People will feel, how can God love me? I cannot do the right thing. I keep on stumbling. The right thing that I want to do, I can't do it. And the bad thing that I don't want to do, that I end up doing. How can God love me? How can God accept me? I continually transgress the law. I'll be punished. I am cursed. Look at all that is bad in my life. That is what comes to people, the testimony of the law in the hands of Satan, when people want to do the law to be righteous. On the other hand, what comes also to people when they try to do the law? Condemnation is the first and affirmation is the second. Pride comes to people. People think, I am holy by keeping the law. Some people have got strong willpower and they manage to do the law. And pride comes to that person. Pride is inherent in the law. If I believe in a system of law to justify, to uh, make myself righteous, to bless me, pride is a natural outflow of trying to do the law to be righteous. It's a natural thing. It will happen. Pride will be in the heart of that person and they might try to suppress it through false humility. But at the bottom of it, in the hearts of people will be pride. That is someone who tries to do the law or believes that he can do the law to be righteous. Their hearts will be like stone. They will not have mercy or compassion for a sinner. They will not have it because in their hearts will be pride and their hearts will be hardened to the plight of sinners. And they cannot believe that God loves sinners. They cannot believe that Jesus, when He was on this planet, went into the homes of sinners, fellowshiped with sinners. The outcasts out of society, Jesus befriended them. And people who are in the law whose hearts have been turned to stone cannot believe that God is a friend of sinners. They both believe, I am good enough. I can live up to God's expectations. 
They will believe that God loves me because I'm doing the right thing. They will believe that God accepts me because I'm not transgressing the law. They will believe that they'll be rewarded for the good that they do. They believe that they are blessed because look at all the good that is in my life. So in the hands of God, God, the Lord testifies that you cannot do this thing, you need a Savior. And He testifies that Jesus Christ is that Savior. In the, the law in the hands of Satan will testify condemnation or affirmation to people. It will either lead people into a place of condemnation feeling worthless, or people will be filled with pride because they can do the law. That is the testimony of the law in the hands of God and in the hands of Satan. Now, there's a very good example in Scripture about these two different testimonies. And that's in Luke 18. Luke 18.10, 18, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But a tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the one who listens to the testimony of the law, as God declares it, the person who says, I cannot do the law to be righteous, I need a Savior, that person who humbles himself in that fashion will be justified in the sight of God. Because that person will make use of the saving work of Jesus Christ. But a person who is glad in his heart that he is not like a sinner because he doesn't act like a sinner, that person will be humiliated. Because that person will not be accepted by God. Because uh, in the sight of God, our best deeds are as filthy rags. There is nothing that we can do to impress God. Jesus worked, and we rest in the complete work of Jesus Christ. We say, God, I desire your mercy. I desire your grace. I desire for Jesus to save me. I desire for your spirit to fill my body. I do not subscribe to a law to make myself holy or righteous. And that person will be saved. Something else. John 8 verse 3, we know this very well. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that I might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. So here was a woman who was guilty according to the law. Those who subscribed to the law as testified in the hands of Satan, those who found affirmation in doing the right thing, they wanted to kill a sinner. But Jesus had mercy upon a sinner. And now just think about it. The law testifies about Jesus Christ. So here they bring a woman who is guilty according to the law, but what are they doing? They're bringing her to the very person that the law is testifying about. So in their midst, they had the physical manifestation of the testimony of the law, Jesus Christ. 
And as Jesus is the physical manifestation of the testimony of the law, as He is the Savior of people, He is the one who can declare mercy and saving and grace to everyone who is a sinner according to the law. And with Jesus, what does the sinner find? The opposite of death. A sinner will find life and righteousness and holiness through Jesus, who is the manifestation of the testimony of the law. Now, what, what is very interesting, Exodus thirty-one eighteen says that the finger of God wrote the law upon tables of stone. So when they came to Jesus, what did He do? He wrote with His finger in the ground, in the dust. If you write with your finger in the ground, in the dust, what happens to it? It disappears. The very finger of God that wrote the law on tables of stone that would have stood forever, now wrote in the ground. They're asking him, the law says we should stone her, what do you say? And he bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. Because as he is the saviour of all people, as, as Jesus came and walked upon this planet, he fulfilled all the requirements of the law and the law passed away. So the very finger that wrote the law on tables of stone wrote in the sand and it is gone. Because what does scripture say? If we read um, Hebrews 7 verse 18, it says, For there is verily a dust annulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but in the bringing in of a better hope did by the by, by the which we draw nigh unto God. That word disannulling means rejected, cancelled, done away with. So in the fulfillment of the law, the law was rejected, it was cancelled, it was done away with. What is the relationship that we have with the law? We have no relationship with the law whatsoever. It's been disannulled. It's been rejected. Why? Because it was weak and unprofitable and could make no one perfect through the doing of a law. And the finger that wrote in the sand, that sand washed away that law. And it is as if that law has never been to those who believe in Jesus who is the Savior. Colossians 1.21 And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now as he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now as He reconciled. As we know that word wicked means full of labors and annoyances. So wicked is trying to work to be righteous. Coming in under a system of labor, a yoke of slavery to try and please God. That is what the word wicked means. In the body of his flesh, through death, talking of Jesus, to present you holy. That word holy. So the testimony about your life is through the work of Jesus Christ, you are holy. That word means pure free from define, defilement, unmixed. Unmixed with trying to do a law to be righteous and to be holy in the sight of God. It means you are pure. So as the law testifies about Jesus, testifies about our inability to do the thing, 
the, through the work of Jesus, there is a testimony that is declared over our lives. That testimony is that we are holy, that we are unblameable, that we are unreprovable. It means we are pure in the sight of God. God doesn't see us as a sinner that is decided to pardon. God sees us as pure, as holy. When God looks at us, He sees us holy, pure, blameless, free from defilement. God sees us as a pure glass of water before Him. He sees us as unblameable. That word means faultless. When God sees us, He sees us without fault. He sees us as perfect in His sight. That is a testimony that God declares over our lives. And that is a testimony that we accept. That we are faultless in the sight of God. Unreprovable. That means we cannot be brought to account. It means we are unaccused. The law was taken away. The law was removed because it was weak and unprofitable. What is there that can accuse us? What is there that can hold us to account? There is no law that can accuse us. There is no law that can hold us to account saying, let's see if you did this or not. Let's see if you lived up to the requirements of law. It was done away when Jesus fulfilled it. There is nothing that can accuse us. If we come before the throne of God, there is nothing that can accuse us. And that is a testimony of our lives. Very important, Colossians 1 verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard. So it is saying, you are holy, you are unblameable, you are unreprovable, if you continue in the faith. It doesn't say if you continue to not do the bad thing. Am I wholly unblameable if I continue to do the good thing and not the bad thing? No, I'm not. I'm wholly unblameable, unreproachable if I continue in the faith that Jesus Christ is a Savior of people. That through the work of Jesus, the law was destroyed, removed, fulfilled, cancelled, done away with. There's nothing that can make me guilty in the sight of God. If I continue in that faith, I will continue in being holy and unblameable in the sight of God. I'm not holy and unblameable if I keep on doing the right thing, if I keep on living to some requirement of law. I'm holy if I keep on believing that no matter what I do, I'm holy in the sight of God through the work of Jesus Christ. That is the way to ensure that I'm holy in the sight of God. I do not believe in a mixture of law and grace. I do not believe that I'm justified by doing the right thing. I do not believe that I please God by what I do. I believe that what Jesus did pleased God. And God sees me as pure, as holy, as unblameable in His sight. Amen. I have to say, unfortunately, that is the end. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can understand that the law wants to testify freedom to me because I cannot do it. Thank you, Lord, that in the hands of God, the law testifies to me that I need a Savior and that Jesus Christ is that Savior. Thank you, Lord, that we do not listen to the testimony of the Lord that wants to make me guilty, that wants to condemn me, that wants to fill me with pride by thinking that I can do the law. 
Thank you, Lord, that we can know that we have no relationship with the law that has been cancelled, disannulled, done away with through the work of Jesus Christ, that it is weak and unprofitable. It, it cannot profit anyone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you love your people, that you serve them with your life, that you fill them with your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you love them unconditionally. Amen. So notice that God loves you greatly, that He loves you dearly, that God has already blessed you through the work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can curse you as you stand in the work of Jesus Christ. And we believe that we are blessed, blessed through an indestructible blessing, as we are filled with the indestructible, unending life of God. Know that God loves you dearly. Amen. Evidence. There's evidence in me about the destiny, about my life, my life. So I want to give evidence. I, I want to tell of the evidence that, that I got in my heart to speak. And um, I wish I could speak of Afrikaans because it was really something like I felt was, was a, a revelation. And I, I now realize it's, it's the evidence because a light, you know, they, they, they came a light upon what I believed, what I, uh, I got the testimony already, but the light was switched on more clearly about what I already believed. You understand what I mean? I realize now there was a testimony, I, I believed the testimony of, of God about my life, of Jesus. But you know, in this week, I, I just listened to it. It was an Afrikaans song, um, a love song. And a man sang it. He, he, he said, um, I give my life to you. I give myself to you. I give myself to you. I give myself to you. And I thought, but you know, this shouldn't be sang by, by a man. Normally, it's a wife that gives herself to the man, to the husband. Are, are there some other women feeling like that? Do, do you feel like normally it's the wife giving herself to the man? I've never thought about it. I've never, it never entered my mind that a man gives him to the wife. Can you believe that? I never, I, I thought it was the wife who gives herself to the man. That's it, point. That's finished. And, and I listened again and I said, well, how can, how, how does a man give himself to a woman? Uh, because I thought, you know, if he was, you know, unmarried, then after he married, you just keep on doing what he does, you know? He will do the same job, he will buy a car, he will buy a house, you know? Whether or not he gets a wife, he will just keep on doing what he would do. So, so how does he give himself? And I realized, but you know, the, uh, we, we saw this uh, sound of music and there was a, a thing that the mother superior said about um, Maria. She's got so much love to give, but she actually needs an object to release all the love to give. All. And I realized, but that is how God is, you know. I knew, like a husband, he has got so much love to give. Mm. And, and I find this wonderful husband, and 
I discovered so much love to this. But at once, when he married me, he suddenly found somebody, on, on, uh, an object to love. And therefore, from that moment of he, uh, 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 he was giving, from that moment on, he was, he was giving himself to me. You know, I can't, I can't tell you the, the evidence, the, the difference it made. The moment I, I, I realized, but that's the way God gives himself to me. Yes. And he says, he is my bridegroom. And I am his bride. And, and I'm the object now of his love. So, so that's, the test, that's the evidence of the testimony I believed for long. But it was like a light was switched on this, this past week. So I, I love him even more now. <laughs> but it, it, it is so wonderful for me to the moment that I've, I felt loved by him uh, in a way so much different than before. I realized, but I can't accept the love of God in the same way more than, than I've ever accepted it before. You, you understand? Wonderful evidence, right? Eh? In the heart. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>